give you praise, Lord. Tonight is about worship. My sermon this evening is about worship. Worship. When I say worship, there is lots that comes to your mind. To some, it may be music. It might be perhaps a service like this. To some, it could be a lot of things in your mind, depending on what you know about worship. But I do believe scriptures set a standard in terms of every single thing that we are called to do. There's lots that we can even expand on, especially if we're in a Bible school setting, which is the reason why I would encourage some of you, if you can, join Bible school. It's a great place where we go sometimes in depth in terms of teachings. But, I, but tonight, I'm just going to touch on one of the aspects of worship. Because the whole topic of worship can be taught for several years. But here's the thing. Worship, you can receive so much teachings about worship. You can read a lot about worship. If you go on Google now, you type worship, you can get a whole lot of definitions and things about worship. Even in the days of Jesus, there were people that were claiming to worship the living God. People worship in different ways. There were groups of people, the Pharisees, the Sadducees. There were different movements of people that worship. Some went to, to the mountain. The Samaritans, they went to a specific mountain based on how they were perceived in those days. But Jesus had also a way of looking at worship from his context. And our desire tonight, and I believe God's desire tonight, is that in one of the little aspects that I'm going to share on about worship, that the Lord will lead you to a place where you come out of this place, you will say, I want to become a worshiper. I really want to be a worshiper. There's lots of definition about worship. For example, the word for worship when you use the French word, basically one of the definitions is that it's an, ex an exaggerated love, an extreme level of love. That's one of the definitions. In fact, in French, Bi in French Bibles, the word worship is often used, uh, translated as adoration. Adoration. Something that you, you admire. But I'm not going to go much into that. I'm going to speak about two specific men through whom God did so much. And we will look at just a few aspects that I'm going to touch on. And we will try to glean from their lives some of the lessons that we can include, incorporate in our worship as a lifestyle. And I'm going to look at this man called Abraham. Who of you knows Abraham? Who of you have never read anything about Abraham? Don't be shy. Don't be shy. Don't be, don't be, don't be afraid or panic or anything. Wow. Everyone seems to have heard about Abraham. 
How many brothers did Abraham have? Because we say we know him. Who of you have heard about Abraham? Don't feel, don't feel ashamed. Okay, great. Okay, I'm not going to mention anybody. Who of you knows the name of Abraham's brother? Okay. That, that's Abraham's nephew. Direct brothers. How many brothers did he have in his own family? Two. He has two brothers. Well done. Who are the, what are the names? Okay. Hesitations there. Who of you knows the name of Abraham? Abraham's brothers? Who knows the name of Abraham's dad? Sarah. Well done. Okay. Abraham's mom? We don't know. Okay. Great. Good assignment. And uh, Abraham's brothers? Sorry? Yes. And who else? Oh, did you Google? <laughs> ah, you better go back to your Bible. The problem is that a lot of people, we come to church with a Bible. We buy a nice big, big Bible like mine. We come to church. You are my daily bread, my daily bread, my daily bread. And then when we, re when we, when we, we get to residence, get to your room. Come. You indirectly the Bible. Bible, stay there. <laughs> stay there. I have my thing. All right? No pressure. Okay? No pressure. But, so Abraham had two brothers. What, what do you think is the main reason why we don't even know? And sometimes we, don't, we, didn't, we never even cared to know who are Abraham's brothers. Why don't we know his brothers? KG, why do you think we don't know Abraham's brother? Majority of Christians. You can gather a thousand of Christians here and ask, who of you knows the names of Abraham's brothers? Very few would know. Who of you knows the scripture that says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me? You can know that. You know that. I wish that you may prosper <laughs> as your soul is prospering. Who of you know that scripture? Who, knows, who of you knows that Jesus multiplied the bread? Why don't we know about Abraham's brother's name? That's the question. I'm going somewhere. I'm not trying to put pressure on you. I'm going somewhere in my thinking. Just follow me carefully. Why is it that in this family, if you read in Genesis 11, you will find the names of the genealogy, the, 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 the group from which, or the clan where Abraham came from. From Sam, from Noah, and all of that line. But what it is that out of this, all of this genealogy, there is a guy that pops in and suddenly he makes a big part of our Bible. It's like in, in Matthew chapter 1, you, there is this genealogy of Jesus. The genealogy is taught by Jesus, son of David, son of Abraham. And there is this line, there are so many people that are being mentioned there. 
But not everyone necessarily mentioned the genealogy of Jesus we know about, and we even mention often their names. There is a reason. There is a reason. And those are the things that I would like to touch on so that we may understand the whole issue of worship. So you don't have to sleep. If someone is sleeping next to you, tell them, hey, wake up, wake up, wake up, wake up. So you better make sure you're looking at me. If, if, because if you're, looking, if you're looking down, you're sleeping, I'm going to come where you are. Ha, 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 Amen. Amen. No, your amen is very weak. Amen. Great. Are we very old here? I just want to check. Are we very old here? Is, is this the old age home? Okay, great. I just want to double check. Are, am I dealing with the old age home? Okay, great. Do we have energy? Okay, great. So bring your energy back. Your energy wasn't given to you just for the gym. Your energy was given to you primarily for worship. Your body, Paul says, I urge you that you may, you may offer your body as a pleasing and living sacrifice. Don't, do the gym. Don't go to the gym for people. Go to the gym for Jesus because you're taking care of his temple. The problem is that a lot of people go to the gym to fit into something. To become significant. No. Always see your body as a vessel through which God wants to speak and heal and touch people. Because when God wants, when God says, when you shall lay hand on the sick and they'll be healed, God will use your hand to heal the sick. So when you fit, when your hand is in good shape, that hand is useful for the kingdom. That's the reason why if you die, it is finished. It is finished, you go to heaven. Alright? So your energy is not for pop only. Your energy is not for only going to the cinema. Your, some people can stay and watch a movie for three hours. Non-stop. Watching. Commenting. And even crying. <laughs> and yet, we struggle sometimes to sit in a sermon for 20 minutes. Where is our hearts? Where is our hearts? It doesn't, it's not a matter of coming here. You are my living water, my living water, my living water. No. Jesus looks at the heart. Not, he's not pursuing a song. So I'm coming back to Abram again. In Genesis 11 verse 26, the scripture says, When Terah had lived 70 years, he fathered Abram, Naor, and Aaron, or Haran. So, Abram had two brothers, Nahor and Haran. These are two brothers that many of us don't really know. And sometimes it doesn't really matter. So, let's go to Joshua 24 verse, from verse 2. Let's look at Joshua 24 verse 2. Just going to read a few of them. And Joshua said to all the people, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel long ago, your fathers lived beyond the Ephrath. Terah, the father of Abraham, uh, uh, the father of Abraham and of Naor, and they served other gods. Remember? Then 
I look to your father. This is Joshua when Joshua was making his last speech before he died. Joshua was making this speech. You know, remember Joshua is the one who took the people into the promised land. All right? And Joshua was making this last speech. God was, Joshua was basically prophesying. God was speaking through him. Joshua, the verse 1 starts by saying, Joshua gathered all the tribe of Israel to Seshem and Salmon, the elders and the head. So as he goes down, he said, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, Long ago your fathers lived beyond the Ephrath, Terah, and the father of Abraham, and of Naro. They served other gods. Then I took your father from beyond the river and led him through all the land of Canaan, made his offspring many, I gave him Isaac. And, and to Isaac I gave Jacob and Esau. I gave to Esau the hill country of Seth to possess. But Jacob, his children, went down to Egypt. And I sent Moses and Aaron, and I plagued Egypt with what I did in the midst of it. And afterward I brought you out. Then I brought, you, I brought your fathers out of Egypt, and you came to the sea. And the Egyptians pursued your father with chariot and horsemen to the Red Sea. And when they cried to the Lord, I put darkness between you and Egyptians and made the sea come upon them and cover them. And your eyes saw what I did in Egypt. So I'm going to go to, I'm going to jump automatically to verse um, 14. He says, Now therefore, fear the Lord and serve him in sincerity and in faithfulness. Put away the gods. That your father served beyond the river in Egypt and served the Lord. And if, if it is evil in your eyes to serve the Lord, choose this day whom you will serve. Whether the gods of your fathers served in the region beyond the river or the gods of the Amorite in whose land you dwell. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. That's the context from which Joshua spoke about serving God. When he said, I and my house will serve the Lord, Joshua was challenging idolatry. Joshua was challenging the issue of worshiping other gods. And he started by contextualizing the call of Abraham. God, in Genesis 12, found Abraham, this man that was living in an environment where people worship other gods. Some of us have been, some of the people in our church have been on missions. Jamie and them went to India and Indonesia. They will tell you, and some of this, in some of the places in the Middle East or in Asia, you find people who worship many gods. Some people have gods for prosperity. Some other people have gods for, you know, for maternity. They have gods for, you know, relationships. They believe in so many, 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 many divinity. Now, this is the kind of environment where God that in which God found this man called Abraham. Now in the midst of all of this, suddenly this man hears a voice. And the voice tells him, leave your country. Go to the country that I'm going to show you. Leave your house. Leave your home. Leave your everything. Now remember, when you speak of an environment, you cannot speak of an environment without speaking of culture. So there are things that Abram did, perhaps even his way of worshipping, which was technically designed or dictated by his culture. 
Perhaps his worship was part of the way he viewed his life. You know, in some of the cultures in the Middle East, they don't have duality in the way of thinking. Like the way we live in our context, you have your studies, you have your families, you have your friends, you have different things, you have your spiritual life. They're kind of in different phases. So you can take a break from church, you can take a break from praying, now you can take a break into studies because these things are, 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 are separated. While in other contexts, their life is, in, is, 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 a, is, is one. It's one. It's almost like a cell. The, their life is basically like a seal. Their, everything is combined together, which is the reason why when you go and visit some restaurant, you find some pictures of some divinity. If you go into Thai food, for example, into some Thai restaurant, you will find pictures of some of the things they believe in because and their business and their worship, everything is one. So when God found Abraham, God found Abraham into a culture. And part of the culture was submitted to some divinity. Now, what happened is God took Abraham and asked him to, to leave where he was. And when Abraham left, in Hebrews 11, it says he didn't even know where he was going. It was by faith that he left. Up to the time where he reached Canaan the land which we later was called Israel. When he goes there, basically what happened is God was inviting Abram into a new space. God was about to start, to start a new clan. A new clan that was going to be dedicated completely to him. A new clan that will be under his rule and his dominion. Many times you'll find in the Old Testament God calling Israel his son, his firstborn, his inheritance. So God was calling Abraham into a space where his life would have a new definition. But now the definition of Abraham's life was rooted in this issue of worship. Because he was worshiping many, many gods, but now he had to deal with one God. The God that revealed himself to him. So the calling of Abraham was basically a call to worship. But it was going to cost him something. Leaving. He had to leave his home. He had to leave his comfort. Took his wife. Not knowing where he was going. You see, the call to discipleship is a call to leave, to go. When God spoke to Abraham, he said, go. When Jesus, before he left, when he was with the disciples, he said, go to all the nations and make disciples. So now, God was calling this man, and he wanted to do things with him. Now in this scripture, Joshua is quoting what God did with Moses, with the Israelites in Egypt. And this is many, many generations because some of the people who went into the promised land, majority of them were not even in Egypt. Some of them were born in the wilderness. Now Joshua is reminding the people of, the, of what God did in Egypt, in Egypt to set them free. Everything that he did. When God was calling Moses, 
Did he ever mention Moses? Oh, no, when God called Abraham, did he ever mention Moses? No. Did he ever mention Joshua? No. Did he mention Caleb? No. But they were all in God's plan. Why don't we know about Naor or Haran? The reason is simple. There is only one reason. To my opinion, the choice of God. Which I can alternate with the word grace. The grace of God. Abraham never pursued God. He never praised God, I want to know you. I would love to follow you. There is not a single record in the preceding chapters where God, Abraham was seeking God. God came and revealed himself to Abraham. Shared with him his plan. And Abraham responded to the call. Then the whole story of this nation began. But the story of this nation wasn't about just possessing a land. But the story of this nation was a story, was a narrative of worship. It was all a narrative of worship. Now in the book of Acts, we found also a man, powerful man, Paul, the apostle Paul. Many of us know about Paul who was persecuting the church up to the point where Jesus appeared to him and Jesus said to him, why are you persecuting me? Now, if you read in Acts 22 from verse 3, I'm just going to quote it. You can read from uh, Acts 22. You can read the whole, ver the whole chapter, but I'm just going to quote it so that we, we save some time. Paul sat under a man called Gamaliel, who was a rabbi. He was a teacher, taught him the law. The, he was a Pharisee. He knew the word. He knew scriptures. He knew everything about the law. But now, if you read in Hebrews and all of these, all of these scriptures, you'll see that Jesus was the fulfillment of a lot of those prophecies. Now, Paul, or Saul of Tarsus, was a man who dedicated himself into teachings and things. He was very sincere in what he was doing. And yet, he was the lead, one of the leading guys in the murder of Christians. Even when Stephen was, was killed, he was there. And the scripture says he approved of his death. How come this man knew the law? He knew all of those things. When the, the one who fulfilled the law, Jesus, appeared, was made flesh, when he came, he wasn't able to recognize that this is actually God. This is actually the one. The reason is simple as well. Because that conversation is a conversation about worship. He knew, he knew scriptures. He knew all of those things. But he was not able to recognize the will of God in that season. He, didn't he wasn't able to recognize that actually what God was doing in that moment was embodied in Christ Jesus. And the apostles who were preaching Christ were actually doing what was supposed to be done. But why couldn't he do that? 
because there was a veil on his heart. He couldn't see. Paul says himself that when, you read, when we read Moses, the veil is, is on their hearts. And it is in Christ that the veil is removed. Meaning, when Paul worshipped, because when he was doing it, he thought he was doing the right thing. By killing people who were worshipping Jesus. He was worshipping, but outside of God's will. So, sitting Adam Gamaliel was almost like a culture. Now, here's the thing. I'm bringing the cultural conversation. You see, we come from different places. We come from different countries. We come from different contexts where things are done in a certain way. When God calls you into worship, he doesn't, I'm not saying when God calls into worship, he will crash down your context. No. But your primary call to worship is a call to an encounter with him. You know, when, I like something that Pastor Reno said yesterday at Encounter 1. When we come to God, we have to come in his terms. But a lot of time, many, many of us have come to God in our own terms. So when we worship, we worship in our own terms. While worship really happens only when we are born again. When Jesus met this Rabbi Nicodemus, this doctor of the law, he didn't have a lot of argument with him. You know what he told him? You need to be born again. Unless you access my kingdom, unless you access the kingdom of God, you see the kingdom protocol, the way the kingdom functions. You will struggle because you will come into the kingdom and you will do things according to the kingdom in which you come, which was built by man, an imperfect setup. A lot of time we come to a church, we look at the worship and we say, I, this worship is not the way we worship from where I'm coming from. You know why? You know, what's the, you know what's, the, what's the issue of that? What you see on stage is not worship. What you do at home, that is not worship. Primarily. Worship is not music. Music doesn't equal worship. Music is one of the expressions of worship. But music is, does not mean worship. Before Lucifer was removed from heaven, he was worshipping too. But he was outside of God's will. While he was developing ideas of being worshipped, he was still in heaven worshipping too. But he wasn't worshipping God. He was worshipping as an activity, but he wasn't necessarily worshipping in the will of God. A lot of times we become like Lucifer. We come to the church, we come into the kingdom of God, we do not want to leave. We want to tell God, God, you come into my context. And I'm going to define you the way I define things, people, in my world. If Jesus said, if you have to worship, when Jesus had the conversation of worship, the conversation was around places of worship. And Jesus said, the time has come where two worshipers will worship God in spirit and in truth. Paul says that the things 
It is only by the spirit of man that we know the things of man. And it is only by the spirit of God that we know the things of God. Unless there have been an unveiling in your heart to really know Jesus, you cannot worship him. Let's read in Philippians 3, verse 4. We love what the Apostle Paul says. Paul knew all of these things. Had a lot of theory. This is what he said. Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you is no trouble to me and is safe for you. Look out for the dogs. Look out for the evildoers. Look out for those who mutilate the flesh. For we are the circumcision who worship the Spirit of God and glory in Christ Jesus and put no confidence in the flesh. Though I myself have enough confidence in the flesh also, if anyone else think he has a reason for confidence in the flesh, I have more, I have more. Circumstance, circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a more circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, as to the law, a Pharisee, as to zeal, a persecutor to the church, as the righteousness under the law, blameless. But whatever gain I had, I counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and, found, and be found in him not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead. This is a man that studied so many things. But he, he was able to have access into the real place of worship when he really got to know Christ. Do you know him? Do we know him? There is two major reasons, two major things that explains our invitation to worship, primarily grace, as we saw in the life of Abraham. Paul was in his ignorance, killing so many people, murdering so many people, didn't know Christ. But Christ was revealed to him, grace again. But beyond that, Paul was invited into this space where he was able to know Christ. Because you will always worship at the level of your knowledge of God. The depths of your worship will depend on the depths of your knowledge of who God is. Your worship will often reflect 
how much you know him. When the apostle Paul knew Christ, he said he considered all of these things as rubbish. He had enough reason to be more confident, to be more, to be more confident than any other person. Because by law, he was a chosen one. And by zeal, he was a persecutor. So he was actually speaking to his own brothers. But I love what he says. I'm going to read it again. He says, he says, but whatever gain I had. Remember, this is a man that sat under a rabbi. This is a man that sat under one of the greatest teachers of his days, Gamaliel. Now, this is a man who had a lot of knowledge, very apologetic. He was a leader. Imagine, he is the one who approved of Stephen's death. Very intelligent man, but he didn't know God. In our context today, you would box him as a theologian or someone that went to a Bible school, someone who went to the university, someone who went into some schools of thoughts. Jesus is found in his word. And Jesus is found in simplicity. Now, Paul, this is what he says. <laughs> he said, and whatever I gain, I count as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that come from the law. But, the, but that which comes from faith in Christ, the righteousness from God, that depends on faith, that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and may share his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. When Paul had an encounter with Jesus, his worship changed. He was worshiping before, outside of God's will. Sometimes you can be doing a good thing, but outside of God's will, automatically it becomes the wrong thing. It's a good thing, it's not necessarily the right thing. Not necessarily the right thing. Because you see, the most important thing in the life of a worshiper is obedience. In the, in the life of every believer is obedience. See, God said to the prophet, Samuel said to, to the king, to Saul, he said, obedience is better than sacrifice. When God gave the instruction to, to the king, he didn't do it the way God said it. You see, God has a certain way of doing things. When Moses had to build the tabernacle, God revealed to him the way things needed to run. He has a certain style of doing things. So worship it's not about you and satisfying your flesh. A lot of times people come into a church and say, no, I'm not going to be in this church. The music in this church is not conformed to what I enjoy doing. You know, the problem with that is that you want worship to be conformed to your feelings. I'm not having a problem with different styles. No, that's not what I'm talking about. 
But worship is not about us. It's about him. The most important thing that we should ask ourselves, am I in the will of God? Am I in the will of God? Do you think it was a very comfortable place for Jesus? He was 100% God, 100% man. When he arrived in an environment where there were Romans, funny people, how did he cope with it? He was only there because that was the Father's will. You could have said, oh God, this is not our culture. This is not my thing. I need to come back to heaven quickly. Quickly. Because these people are so weird. They're sinning all the time. They're killing each other all the time. But Jesus set a standard of how it looked like being a man filled with God's life and still being human. We can live like him. When Paul got to know Christ, he was able to worship him in spirit and in truth. But it, he didn't worship because he deserved it. It's because it was revealed to him. The word revelation means unveiling. An unveiling. And this is what we want to trust God for. That there will be an unveiling in our hearts. That we will truly know him. That knowing Christ will become our pursuit. That we, when we know Christ, we will know how to readjust our culture. Because in every culture, there are amazing things. There are also bad things. But our culture is not where we belong. We come from him. Jesus said, I come from my father and I'm going to my father. Our culture is temporary. Your culture shall pass away one day. Everything on earth shall pass away one day. But do you know how much we hold on to temporary things? To the, to the expense of rejecting eternal things. There are people that have rejected salvation because it, wasn't, it didn't come in the package they wanted. When God calls Abraham, he says to him, leave. If you were Abraham, what do you feel, what do you think is holding you back from stepping into God's page? In the context of Paul, he sat under this man for so many years as a very good Jewish boy. Knew all of these things. And yet, was killing the, the, the followers of the son of the very same God he believed to have been following because there was a veil. Ask the Lord, what is it that is creating a veil on my heart that is hindering me from knowing Christ? And I would like to suggest to you as well to say, God, your grace has already been made available. Help me. To step into it. To respond accordingly. To respond purposefully. Otherwise, my worship will be messed up. It will be a mixture of my own will and your will. And that is not going to be worship. That is going to be worship according to me. 
But we want to worship him according in his terms. In his terms. In his terms. If we worship God in his terms, we would have never been divided. We would have never been separated. A lot of time, even worship has separated people because it is done in the flesh. It is done according to the flesh. It is not centered on God. Worship is not about just singing and dancing. What is going on in your mind while you're dancing? What is going on in your mind after you've, you've finished dancing? Worship is a call to reach out to the nations. To reach out, to come out of your own zone. When God called Abraham, it wasn't about going and staying in the promised land and chilling and just being happy. The call of Abraham was about being a blessing to the nations. And most of the Jews that wanted to remain stuck on the land and forgetting that God was about actually to use them as a vessel to reach to so many, they missed it. Like Paul, Paul understood it then when he got saved. And he was able to impact many nations. And the bigger, one of the bigger, the bigger part of the New Testament is written by him. Because he was open. God used his background too. Because he was a knowledgeable person. Therefore, he was able to articulate some of the things. In other words, God values where you come from. But where you come from should not define you. Let God define you. In a, that is the, the, the conversation around identity. Worship is directly linked to identity. Identity. But when we come in Christ, we become a holy nation. A holy nation. A royal priesthood. Become one. We do not look at one another anymore. According to the flesh. We choose to worship. We choose to lay down and behold the glory of the Father. And then worship accordingly. The problem is that for many of us, worship is music. And that's the problem. And we miss God because we, we narrow when Worship was, the word worship was used for the first time in scriptures. It wasn't in the context of music. It was in the context of Abraham going and taking his son to the Mount Moriah to offer him a sacrifice. He says, I and my son will go to worship. He didn't take a band. Did he take a band? Never took a band. Did he have a guitar? No, but he went to worship. Is only son. Now, prophetically, if you look at that picture, it spoke of the sacrifice of Jesus, the only son of God. Why? Worship always points to Jesus. Always points to Jesus. You will notice when the wise men, when they saw the star, when Jesus was born, they saw this star and they were following it. And this star was pointing where? 
where Jesus was. Simon, he received the word from the Lord. Bible said, led by the Spirit, he went to the temple to worship. Where does our lifestyle point to? Where, if you were to die today, where would your story point people to? God's will is that your story will not point people to where you come from. It will point people to him because you came from him. The problem is that we put so much pressure on churches to be conformed to where we come from. Instead of actually being like heaven. This is a very tough conversation. Because everybody is like, I want to be this. I want to be this. I want to be this. I want. There is a value in diversity. Definitely, I'm not talking about that. But diversity is about us. We, it's about us. But worship is not primarily about the activities. Identity. 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 We are called sons of Abraham. We are, the, we, are people, we are the people that are called to live and go and step into God's will. In fact, the Bible says when Abraham went into the promised land, he lived like a foreigner in a tent because he was expecting the greater city. The, uh, the eternal city. But the way we act, we want to eternalize the things that are temporary and we miss God's bigger plan. If you were to remember everything, you are qualified to be a worshiper for one reason, the grace of God. It is the grace of God that called this man, Abraham, that was worshiping, that was an idol worshiper, that was worshiping many other gods. God in his sovereignty and his love called him to his life and started a new thing. God in his sovereignty encountered this man Saul of Tarsus, and he changed him. And it is by grace that you and I are founding ourselves in his presence. That is why I believe one of the first doors in worship is thanksgiving. In Psalms, the scripture says, enter his gate with thanksgiving and praise. Because when we come into his presence, we realize, oh, I did not deserve this. As unclean as I am, this living God decides to become my friend. And he decides to speak via this impure man who still speaks to forgive. How many times has he forgiven us? How many times have we disappointed him? And yet, he still loves us the same. When he looks at your heart when you are angry, you are jealous, you have all of these things. Looks at your heart, he searches your heart, but he still loves you the same in that moment. I love the song that says, My worth is in the cross. There's nothing more I want than just to know his love. My heart is set on Christ, and I will count always his loss. I forgot the next part. I love that song. Because our worth is in the cross. What is your worth? Not in your culture. Not in your skin color. Not in your language. 
Your worth is in the cross. The place where he shed his blood. A lot of time we put down that and we elevate men. We elevate who we are. We elevate our skin colors and we miss it. And yet the cross was a reconciling place. It was a reconciling place. It was the only place that made it possible that we could be one. Let's stand. Let's stand. Worship is not about feelings. It's not about that. It's all about His grace. It's all about His grace. It's about the grace of the Father. It's about His grace. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Him. It's all about Jesus. Are you ready to leave? Like Abraham. What is it that you are stuck in? That you need to come out of. To join God into his agenda. Into his plan. There was a moment where God said to Abraham, come out of your tent. Look into the sky. That was a moment where Abraham was crying to God. He said, God, I do not have a son who will inherit from him beside this servant. The Lord said to him, come out of your tent, look into the sky, count these stars, such will be your descendants. God was inviting him into this place where the, uh, the eyes of his heart would be open to see something that was already established by God. Something eternal, something beyond his flesh, something beyond his natural knowledge. Because it was going to be impossible for him to journey with this God of impossibility. How could he handle to remain in covenant with the God of the impossibility while he wasn't thinking of, he wasn't perceiving this God as a God that will do the impossible? God had to open the eyes of his heart to see something of him, something that he has established. And tonight, God wants to open your hearts so that you will be able to see something of him that he has already established. Something of him that is everlasting. Something of him that, is, that transcends your culture. Something of him that transcends your knowledge. Something of, of him that transcends your education. Something of him that transcends everything you have reference to. Otherwise, you will not be able to worship him. You will compare him to any other teacher of the law. He's relational. He's God. He's God. Worship exists because of the cross. It's because of the cross. But a lot of time, we, put, we, we stand on the cross. We put it down. Because we elevate who we are. And we want to worship Him in our own terms. We want to elevate Him in our own terms. When the Holy Spirit came, they spoke in tongues. There was, a super, there was an impossibility that happened there. And it was an evidence that they were dealing with the God of nations. They were dealing with a God of impossibility that was able to enable a man that had never learned the language to be able to speak another language because of the supernatural power of the Spirit. 
That's the kind of God that we want to worship. That is beyond our knowledge. Unfortunately, sometimes we box him. The reason why we fall in sin is because we don't see him in our picture. When we rock up in our rooms, we don't see him. We don't acknowledge him. And yet David said, where would I go away from your face? Where would I hide away from the face? Do you know why we continue acting the way we act? Because we've, we don't see him. We can't recognize him. We can't even click his there. And we don't care. But when people are there, we readjust. We conform. We pretend. We try to look good. It is called hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is explaining the fact that we do not have, our hearts are not unveiled to see constantly the presence of the Father, to see constantly His holiness. His holiness is not necessarily constant present to us. Jesus said to Nathanael, from now on, you'll be seeing angels ascending and descending. If you just know that you need to do the Abraham call to leave, to come out of your, of your comfort zone, to go, where is waiting for you? Perhaps you've delayed. There are things that have held you back. Things that have imprisoned you from stepping into a place of worship. I'm wanting to call you where you are to come forward. And tonight, I will have us to, to come to God and say, Lord, here I come. Lord, here I come. If you just know that you've stayed longer, you pretend, you do the church thing, you pray, you read the word, but you know you haven't left yet. Because there are things that you value so much that you wouldn't be ready to surrender. That you wouldn't be ready to submit. You know, Christianity and worship, it's not about people. We don't do this thing to please people. We don't follow Christ for the sake of people. Because when you go back, you'll be in your own bed on your own. And if you are confused, that's the way you are. If you are depressed, that's the way you are. If you can't worship, that's the way you are. But tonight you are given a chance where you can stand before him. You can stand before him. You can stand before him. And say, Father, I'm ready. I'm ready. I'm ready to worship you. I'm ready to worship you. I'm ready to embrace your grace. I'm ready to, to connect with your plans, with your everlasting plans. Maybe there is a veil. Maybe there is a culture of veil. Maybe there is a culture of veil. And you want to say, God, unveil my heart. Unveil my heart. Unveil my heart. Because I want to see you. I do not want to worship in my way. I do not want to worship in my way. But I want to do it your way. I want to do it your way. If you're here and you know that your relationship with God is not where it should be. Perhaps you pray. Perhaps you do all of these things. Maybe you even pray in tongues. But you know your relationship with Him is still in your own terms. I want to encourage you as well. Come to the front. In faith, come to the front in obedience to him, in obedience to his voice. Because tonight God wants to touch each and every one of us.
The Lord has an appointment with you. We're not here to play church. We're not here to please anybody. We're not here to pretend. The world has seen so much of church brands, but the world wants to see Jesus. The world wants to see Jesus. He wants to see Jesus. The, way this, the, the world is desperate to see how it looks like being a woman, being a man that is filled with the very life of God like Jesus was. This UCT hasn't seen how it looks like when a man would completely surrender to God. When a man would completely surrender to God. When a man would look, would completely worship God in spirit and in truth. Paul and Silas, they were in a natural prison while they were worshiping, while they were praising God. The prison doors were broken. Why is it that we worship and yet there's nothing? It is powerless. It is empty. Because we've lost the connection. There's still a lot of veil. There's still a lot of veil. I want to encourage you where you are to raise your voice and engage with the Father. To raise your voice and engage with the Father. And for you that are in front, I want you to put your hand in an act of faith, of surrender, as if you're receiving a gift and say, Father, here I am, 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 here I am. You, if you feel like kneeling before him, you are welcome to humble yourself before him and kneel before him. Don't wait for me to tell you what to do. If you feel like even lying on the floor, you're welcome to lie on the floor. If you feel like raising your hands to him, you can do it. This is a place where we want to engage with the heart of the Father. The Holy Spirit is here. Our God is here. Our God is here. When we see him, we bow. When John saw him, he said, when I saw him, I fell on faith. I fell on my face. I fell on my face. We've fallen into many other things, but not God, because we haven't seen him. Oh, Father, we long to see you. Father, we long to see you. Father, we long to see you. Like Moses cried, Oh, Father, I show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your glory. Show me your face. Show me your face. Show me your face. Show me your face, Lord. Show me your face, Father. Show me your face, God. Oh, Father. Father, if I find favor in your sight, Lord, today, would you show me your face? Would you show me your glory? Would you show us your glory? If we have found favor in your sight today, would you show us your glory? Would you show us your glory? We long to worship you. We long to worship you. We long to worship you. We long to worship you, not in our own ways, not in our own ways, but before you, in humility, in humility, before the Father. We, before the Father, before your throne, before your name. There is no other 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 throne. There is no other throne. There is no other throne. There is no other name. Oh, everlasting Father, here I am, 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 here I am. Hallelujah, hallelujah.